Good morning. How y'all doing? Good to see you. Glad you're here. Uh, We're going to be back in Philippians today. We're going to continue in Philippians for the rest of this month and most of next month. And today we're back in Philippians chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible with you, whether electronic or uh, or, uh, hardware Bible, I don't know what you would call that. Other stuff's called hardware and software. So you've got a hardware Bible or software Bible, get to Philippians 3, 12 through 16. I'm going to read that passage to us just in a minute. Hey, if you are a volunteer here, if you uh, volunteer in any area at all, if you volunteer in uh, up here setting up this stuff or uh, using this stuff up here, if you volunteer with Freedom Kids, if you volunteer with Link, our student ministry, if you volunteer setting up or guest services or any area at all, if you're a volunteer here, I just want you to raise your hand. Raise it up real high so everybody can see if you're a volunteer. Okay, awesome. Now, all of you who just raised your hand, at some point, we need and, and uh, expect for all of us, and I haven't done this yet either, so I'm preaching to the choir here, we all need to go through volunteer orientation, all right? And we're having a volunteer orientation. It just so happens that we're having one this afternoon. Isn't that awesome? We have one a month, the second Sunday of every month. So if you haven't registered yet for this afternoon's volunteer orientation, I've already talked to Donnie. He said it'll be just fine with him if you go ahead and come. Even though you haven't registered, he won't fuss at you for not registering. If maybe this is the first year hearing about it. But we want all of our volunteers, no matter what area you're in, to go through an orientation together so that we can all understand why it's so important that we do what we do, whatever area it is that you are doing that in. And so so if you haven't yet gone through volunteer orientation, we want to encourage you to be there this afternoon. That is this afternoon at 3 o'clock at our church office, which is located up on uh, Highway 290, Locust Hill Road. Get to Little Rebel and just keep going and you'll see it on the left, all right? It's right after they're cutting in a new neighborhood, it's right after that. So, Or if you're coming from Highway 25, if you get to Little Rebel, you've gone too far, either way. But that's at 3 o'clock this afternoon, all right? All right, well, hey, let's, uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 3 together. Now, we are going to be verses 12 through 16 today of Philippians chapter 3. And let me just remind you of what we talked a little bit about last week. We started Philippians chapter 3. And remember in last week, in those 12 verses, we talked about the fact that Paul really emphasized to us who are reading this letter and to the people who read it at that time that, that we can't be good enough to earn the righteousness of God, that, that we can't do enough good works. We're never going to be able to earn that for ourselves. And in fact, what, what he tells us is instead of earning righteousness, righteousness can't be achieved. Righteousness is given. It's given to us by God when we trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. When we trust in what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection, then, then God imparts that righteousness, gives us that righteousness into who we are, and then we can live the life that he wants us to live, and then we can be viewed and seen as righteous by the God who created the universe. And so we talked about that last week, and so it might be, or as you, as you think about that, and, and remember that was part of last week's, remember we talked about the Apostle Paul listed off all the good things that he had done, and, and he started talking about the fact that, that he was circumcised at the right time, that he had obeyed all the law, that he was zealous for the law, he was more passionate than anybody else for, for things of, of the Jewish faith at that time, and, and, he, and he was saying none of that stuff made him righteous. And so it might be easy for us to look at that and say, okay, if, if, being, if doing all these acts of righteousness, doing all these good things, if, if living by the Scripture, if I can never be good enough, 
If I can never do that and, and, and be declared righteous by doing that, what is the motivation? Why should I live the way that the Scripture tells us to live? And, and we're going to talk about that today. So look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And, uh, and let's, let's read that together, or, just, or follow along as I read it. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Uh, one of the things that uh, I've, I've been fortunate and blessed to, uh, to be married to a wonderful woman, my wife Sherry, who's right over here, and we've been married since 1991, and so that means we've been married 20 three years. This this June will be 24 years we've been married, which has been uh, just an amazing experience. And uh, and one of the things that I've learned, and, and I know that many of you have learned as well, about being married is being married's not easy, is it? If you're going to have a marriage that lasts, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. It's, it can be difficult. There's ups and downs. And here's why that is. Because unless you're in some kind of weird alien relationship, Everyone in here is married to another human being, aren't you? And I know some women are like, you haven't seen my husband in the morning. I don't think that's human, the stuff that he does. But, but we are, we're, we're all married to other humans. And so if you're married to a human, let me tell you what you're going to experience. You're going to experience all the bad stuff that that human brings into the relationship. Because we're all sinful, we all fall short, none of us are what we should be, and so marriage can be difficult. But one of the one of the great things in, in mine and, and, and Sherry's life is that we have two sets of parents, her parents and my parents, uh, who have both been married one time to the same person for many years. Sherry's parents just this year, in, or just past year, 2014, they celebrated 50 years of marriage in 2014. In June of this year, my parents will celebrate 50 years of marriage. And it's just an amazing example to, for us to be able to see that. And it was a great example growing up. And then as we've been married, and, and now we've been married just about half as long as they've been married, we've been able to see and learn from them and, and those kinds of things. And, and if, I, you know, if, if I could just say, hey, here's the one key, that the reason they've both been married 50 years, if I could do that, I would write a book and I'd make a bunch of money. There's, it's, it's a lot of different things. There's not just one thing. But I, I will tell you, there is something I've noticed over the years in both of their relationships. I've seen it in my parents' relationship and Sherry's parents' relationships for many years. And that is that both, on both sides, the, the husband and the wife in both of those marriage relationships, there is a great deal of gratefulness. There is a lot of gratefulness in both of them. My, my dad is grateful for my mom, and it shows. Sherry's dad is grateful for my mother-in-law, and it shows, and vice versa. And, and that makes a huge difference in that relationship. And our relationship with Jesus is no different than that. Because when we get to the point where we can understand how grateful we should be for what Jesus has done for us, that should change how we live. As a matter of fact, our motivation to follow Jesus, I believe it's fueled 
by our gratefulness to Jesus. Our motivation to follow Jesus is fueled by our gratefulness to Jesus. It, it adds fuel to that fire. Um, uh, one of the things I know for, tr- for certain after the years that Sherry and I have been married is that I'm a better husband when I am consciously grateful for who she is. I'm a better husband when I'm consciously grateful for the things that she does, the, the things she adds to my life, for the person that she is, for, for the influence she has on our daughters, for the person she is in the community, for the person she is to this church. When I am consciously grateful, when I make sure that I'm thinking about that, that it, that it makes me a better husband. It makes me want to treat her the way she deserves to be treated. It makes me want to do the things that I should do for her. And our relationship with Jesus is the same way. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this in, in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. So he's saying, listen, in verse 11 last week, you remember he talked about he was doing everything he could to obtain the resurrection of the dead. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm not there yet. I, I, obviously, I'm still here, and I, and I haven't. I, I'm not. I'm not as far as I need to be. There's still a lot of growing I have to do. Even though he had kind of bragged on himself before, tongue in cheek. Now he's saying, "Listen, I'm not perfect. I'm just like you. I've still got a long way to go." So he says, "Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own." See, Paul is saying when when he's aware of the fact that that Jesus has made him, has made Paul his, when, when we realize, listen, Jesus has sacrificed to make us his children, when we're aware of that, when we're grateful for that, it should motivate us to want to live for him. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And, and some of you know this. Some of you maybe don't. And this is a secret that I didn't know about until I got older. And it wasn't because my pastor growing up didn't teach it. It's because I didn't pay attention to it. When I was growing up, I thought if you followed Jesus, if you accepted Jesus at a young age and you followed him, nothing bad would ever happen to you. That's what I thought. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. Following Jesus is difficult. In fact, it's rarely easy. It is a difficult thing to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying there's not blessings. There's a whole lot of blessings associated with it. But I'm also saying that it's a difficult path to take. If you follow Jesus the way he wants you to follow Jesus, let me guarantee you one thing. You're going to be viewed as weird by this society, by this culture. All it takes is one person to go on TV and to make a statement that is exactly what the Bible says and people go bananas. I cannot believe he said this. How ignorant is he? How hateful is he? You know, whatever it happens to be. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be viewed as weird by this society that we live in. And so sometimes it can be easy for us as followers of Jesus, it can be easy for us to lose the motivation to follow him. Because we start to think, man, this is hard and and everybody thinks I'm a weirdo and I'm doing what the Scripture says and I'm still broke and I'm doing what the Scripture says and I'm still having a struggle over here in this relationship. I'm doing what the Scripture says and I just got fired. You know, whatever it might be. Now, some of you, I know things are great right now. Awesome. Good for you. It's going to get bad one day, so just be ready for it, and then, and then we'll get, get through that together. But, but, you know, it can be difficult, and so sometimes it can be easy to lose motivation. And so where does our motivation come from? It should come from the fact that we are consciously aware, that we're consciously grateful for the fact that if it were not for Jesus, we would be lost people who are unforgiven of our sin and doomed to spend an eternity in hell. 
But if we can remember, I'm not that. Jesus died for me and I've, I've accepted that, then that should motivate me to want to follow him more. It should motivate me to want to live by the scripture. One of, one of the other things I've learned after being married for the, the time that we've been married is that when, when I am at my worst as a husband, it's when I am thinking about how much I deserve from Sherry. That's when I'm at my worst as a husband. When I start thinking, I deserve everything she's doing for me and probably some more, that she's fallen short, that I deserve more than this. And that's not just true in your marriage relationship. How many, how many of you have ever had a job where you had that job and you loved that job? It was great. It was, you enjoyed going to it. You enjoyed being there and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, one day you found out that the guy working next to you makes more money than you. Or you went home and your husband or your wife started to look at your paycheck and say, you, should get, you deserve to get paid more than what you're getting paid. They're taking advantage of you. I cannot believe what they're asking you to do, and this is all you get paid? How many of you? Well, don't raise your hand. But if you've been in that situation, then what happens to your attitude towards that job? That job that you loved, that job that you enjoyed, all of a sudden you start thinking, well, dadgummit, I do deserve more. I work as hard as that guy, and he makes more than I do. My husband's right. My wife's right. They're taking advantage of me. And next thing you know, you're not performing at that job like you should, like you did before. Why? Because you think you deserve more. Well, one of the things that can happen to us as believers in Jesus, if we're not careful, especially if you're really trying to live by the Scripture and you're doing some things that not everybody does, you're really trying to live faithfully to the, to the Word, when bad things start happening, we can begin to say to ourselves, I don't deserve this. God, I give 10%. Why is this happening to me? God, I'm on the setup team. I show up when all them other lazy people are still laying in bed and I'm having a bad week. Don't you know how important I am to the church? I mean, we might not say it just like that, but we can begin to think that we're pretty important. And we can begin to think that we deserve some stuff. But here's the reality. The reality is that all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. That's what the Bible says. That's not something they taught you in Sunday school when you were five, because then you were all learning about the love of God, which is awesome, and God is love. But God is also judgment, and we deserve the wrath of God. Every one of us does for our sins. But the, the, the great news is, is that Jesus took the wrath of God. That it tells us in the Word that when, when Jesus was on the cross, that the fullness of the wrath of God, all of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus at that moment. The wrath of God for your sins, for my sins, for sins that have yet to be committed, for sins that were committed thousands of years ago, all of that was poured out on Jesus at that moment. And now if we will trust in that and we will trust in the cross, then we can be forgiven of sin, but we don't deserve it. And so if we want to live as a way where we're motivated to follow Jesus, we need to remember instead of saying, wow, I deserve everything I've got. I deserve to be forgiven. We need to live as people that say, I don't deserve any of this and but I am so thankful that I've got it. I don't deserve to be forgiven of sin. I deserve to be condemned to hell, but I am so thankful that I'm not condemned to hell because I've trusted in Jesus because He took the wrath of God and not me. 
And Paul is saying that in verse 12 when he says that he doesn't press on, he presses on to make it his own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then he goes on in verses 13 and 14 and he says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We know why we should be motivated to follow Jesus, but then how do we do that? How do, how do we stay on track? Well, I think one of the things that, that we need to do, and I think what Paul's talking about in verses 13 and 14 here, is we need to narrow our focus. We need to narrow our focus. Now, I'm going to confess something to you as your pastor and as a man. Uh, I'm going to make a confession here, and that is that I am afraid of horses. I'm just going to just put it out there. I'm not a girly man. I'm not afraid of snakes. If I came up on a snake right now, I wouldn't run and scream. And I wouldn't run and scream. I'm not afraid of horses. Like if a horse walked in here, I'd go, ah, I'd run off, anything like that. But I'm, I've never been comfortable around horses. And, you know, some of y'all are horse people and you love them, and that is awesome. Good for you. Uh, but I, that, that, that what scares me about horses is that I don't care about the bit in its mouth. I don't care about the reins and you saying G and haul and woe and go and all that stuff. If that horse decides it wants to do something, you are not stopping it. It's going to be able to do it because it is really big and really strong. And every time I've ever been around a horse, I'm a little nervous that it's going to kick me in the face or something. And then, and then I get this whole thing where I think, oh, it knows I'm nervous, so now it really doesn't like me and I'm trying to be calm and it's just a bad scene all around, so I try to avoid horses. And, and, here's, the, and here's the deal about horses. One of the reasons why they, they, uh, they are able to, or th- th- they do, because if you're a horse person, everybody who's a horse person has a story of being on a horse where it did what it wanted to do, don't you? You've been knocked off of one and it ran you under a tree and you hit your head on a limb or something. Every horse person's got those stories. And here's why that is, because horses were designed by God to flee from attack. It has to do with where their eyes are. Their eyes are set on their head in such a way God has designed them. They're not uh, predators. They're designed to get away from predators. So horses have really good peripheral vision. So if, they're, if you're on it and they see something out of the corner of their eye, they might take off and try to get out of the way of it. And so if you're going to ride a horse like through town, like through Charleston or something with the, the carriages, or if you're going to race a horse, they put something on horses called blinders. I've got a picture of a horse with blinders on. This is a female horse, you see, because it has a pink hood on. Um, but you see the, the thing on the outside there that, that's covering up the horse's peripheral vision because this is a horse that's ready to go into a race. And if you're riding a horse in a race, what do you want that horse to focus on? You want that horse to focus on the finish line. So what's ahead? You don't want that horse looking off to the side. You don't want that horse looking off at, at what's, what's coming up because if that happens, that's going to cause problems. It's not going to stay on the right track. Now, as for us as followers of Jesus, sometimes we can be like a horse. Sometimes we can get this stuff in our peripheral vision and we can start to focus on that and we're not focusing where Jesus has called us to focus. 
Paul says there, verses 13 and 14, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the, toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm, I'm focusing on what's ahead. And so if we're going to narrow our focus, one of the first things we have to do is we have to do what Paul says there in verse 13. The very first thing he says is, he says, forgetting what lies behind. Now, there are some of you in here today that are very aware of the fact that stuff that you did or that was done to you in the past can have a huge impact on the way you live life today. It can have a huge impact on the way you see things today. It can have a huge impact on your relationships today. And there are things that we have done in the past that are shameful. There are things that we have done in the past that we have guilt over. There are things that were done to you in the past that you had no control over. It was not your choice that can still weigh you down with shame and embarrassment. And those things in the past, if we, if we focus too much on that, we will miss out on what it is that Jesus has for us today. Now, now, listen to what I'm saying here. I'm not telling you to act like that never happened. I'm not saying you to, for you to, to put your head in the sand. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to be sure that we are not so focused on what happened in the past that we miss out on where we're going now. You see, Jesus came, one of the things that Jesus came to do, Jesus came to make all things new. He came to make us new, no matter what you did in the past. No matter how bad you were, no matter how far you went, no matter how much of a, of a person you were that, that was denying who Jesus was by your actions and by your words, it doesn't matter how far you went. If you have accepted Jesus now, you have been made new. All things have been made new, and those things are in the past. And also, when Jesus came to make all things new, He did not only come to make us new and to forgive us of our sins, He also came so that we could then forgive others of their sins. And maybe there are some people in your past that you need to forgive for what they did to you. I'm not saying it will be easy. I'm not saying they deserve to be forgiven. What I'm saying is that if Jesus has forgiven us, then we are then supposed to forgive others. And maybe there's people in your past that you need to forgive. You need to forget what lies behind and to narrow your focus. And then as we narrow our focus, as we forget what lies behind there in verse 14, then he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That word goal that's used there, when it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of Christ Jesus, that's a that's a kind of an athletic term that was used back then. It was, I mean, it was used for a lot of things, but when it said goal, that would have been the same word that would have been used for the finish line of a race, or the same word that would have been used for a target that, that an archer was aiming at. It was the goal, it was it was where your focus was supposed to be. Now, if you're if you're gonna run a race or drive in a race, the Daytona 500's coming up in a few weeks. Those guys that are driving in the Daytona 500, they've got one direction on their mind, right? They're turning left all day long. You know, it's just around in a circle. But, that, but they're going in one direction. 
No one has ever won the Daytona 500 by thinking, I'm going to just drive over here and see what's going on. They have one thing, they're going towards the goal, towards the finish line. And if you're going to shoot a, 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 a rifle or a bow and arrow or anything, you're focusing on the one thing you're trying to hit. You're not, going to be, uh, you're not going to be a marksman if you take your rifle and you're looking through your scope and then you start kind of wandering off and then you pull the trigger. You're not going to hit your target. Why? Because your focus has to be narrowed on the goal. It has to be, to be zeroed in on it. And so when Paul talks there about that we're supposed to forget what lies behind, then where are we supposed to, to have our focus? We're supposed to have our focus forward on the upward call of Christ Jesus, on the way Jesus wants us to live, on what he's already written in the Scripture, that that's how we should then live our lives. And, you know, when I was reading through this, it was these verses, there's a lot of athletic imagery in here. Paul talks about pressing on. He talks about straining toward what's ahead. He talks about the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And, and there's all this kind of idea of we're, we're in a race. We're trying to win this race and we're moving forward toward the goal. And I, I started thinking about athletics and, and those kinds of things. And you know, no one, no matter what it is that you're wanting to do, whether it's uh, hit a golf ball the right way or pitch for the Atlanta Braves, you can't accomplish those things without something very important. You cannot accomplish anything athletically the right way without discipline, without physical and mental discipline. It takes that. If you're going to run a marathon, which I never have because I don't have enough physical and mental discipline, but if you're going to run a marathon like some of my friends have, you know what it took? It took a great deal of physical and mental discipline to get up and do it day after day. If you're going to learn to play an instrument, you know what it takes to do that? It takes physical and mental discipline. Nobody ever learned to play the guitar or play the piano by having one in their house. It takes physical and mental discipline. You have to work on it day after day. And one of the things that we do is that we will apply discipline to so many areas of our lives. We'll apply it to the area of exercise and athletics. A lot of you, you've set goals and you've met them. We'll apply it to the area of trying to learn an instrument. We'll apply it to our business, our job. And we've got to do this and this and this, and this is going to be hard, and we're going to have to set this goal, and we're going to have to work on it, and it's going to take getting up early every day and staying late in the afternoon, and we're going to have to do all these things, and we'll apply it, we'll apply it to our schoolwork. I didn't apply it like I should have to my schoolwork, but some of you, you apply it to your schoolwork. I'm going to make straight A's, and I'm going to turn this in early, and I'm going to be there on time. And, and we apply these physical and mental disciplines to every area of our life. But you know an area that a lot of times we don't apply? physical and mental discipline to our lives at all, that's our spiritual life. We just kind of hope it's going to happen. How, when was the last time that you, you set a spiritual goal for yourself? You set a physical goal that you wanted to lose this much weight and run this many miles. You set a business goal that you wanted to get this many new clients and, and have this bottom line by the year. You set a, a goal for learning how to play an instrument that you wanted to be able to play this song by this date. But when was the last time you set a spiritual goal? goal for yourself, that you narrowed your focus down and you said, you know what, I need to apply some physical and mental discipline in my spiritual life. We don't think about it that way a lot. Instead, we, we just read the Bible from time to time. Maybe you get on a version plan, beginning of the year, using the version Bible app, and by about 
Valentine's Day, that's gone. You know, you show up to church when the weather's nice, or maybe you don't because that's when you go to the lake. You, you get in a life group only when, you know, the kids aren't playing one of their seven sports that they're on a travel team for, whatever it might be. And, and we don't apply those physical and mental disciplines to our spiritual life. And either, and that, and, and that either means one of two things. Either it means that we're really not that interested in growing spiritually because, you know, we, we, we put time towards things that are important to us. Or we think that it will just happen without us having to do that. You know, if, if I go to church a couple times a month, Cliff and Donnie, they always talk about important stuff. I'll hear some of that. It'll, it'll stick. I'll be in life group and you know, maybe go every you know, couple times a month to that. So then I'll be good. And it'll be all right. I'll be growing. And we think that it's just going to happen. But we need to narrow our focus. We need to apply that same discipline that we apply to our business, that we apply to our exercise life, that we apply to our eating. We need to apply that stuff to our spiritual life. You know, Jesus had a word for his followers. Anybody remember it? You want to say, say it out loud. What was the word that Jesus called his followers? Say it, say it louder disciples. That's kind of close to the word discipline, isn't it? It's funny how that is. See, when Jesus called the guys to follow him, he was telling them, I'm the only hope you have to be forgiven of your sin. But he was also saying, there's something I expect of you. If you're going to follow me, you have to take this seriously. In fact, he said, you're going to have to leave everybody you've ever you've ever been with. And that, there's even stories of, of guys like Jesus passing by and telling this guy, hey, follow me. And the dude is on the way to his father's funeral and says, hey, just let me get through this funeral, get my dad in the ground. And Jesus said, if your dead dad is more important than me, your living dad, then you're not worth following me and walks off. That's something else you didn't hear in five-year-old Sunday school either. The hard side of Jesus. But Jesus expects us to be disciplined in our following of Him. And He's going to give us the strength to do that. And we should have the motivation to do that because He has died for us. Now, those of you that have been in this church for a while and, and you, you've listened to me teach, I hope you know or, or I hope you've noticed that I'm not big. I'm, I'm not big on standing up here and telling you that you need to give up a lot of stuff You've never once heard me teach a message about the evils of rock music. I've never once stood up here and told you that if you drink a glass of wine before bed that you're going to hell. I've not, I'm not, that's not the kind of person I am because that's not what I think the Scripture teaches. In fact, I think a lot of there's, God's given us a lot of good stuff in this earth for us to enjoy. But let me say this. There may be, in order for us, for you, to narrow your focus, into straining towards the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus, there might be some things in your life that you need to give up for a while or maybe forever. And I'm not talking about sinful stuff that you should have already given up. I'm not like you sitting here today. You know what, Cliff, after listening to what you said, I'm going to quit sleeping around. I think, I think that's what Jesus wants. Yes, he wanted that a long time ago. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there may be some stuff in your life that are good things. They're not bad. 
the, the, some stuff that the, the Bible doesn't say don't do this. But it, it, it's not terrible stuff, but it might just have your focus drawn off so much of Jesus that you need to put it down for a while. It might be something that's in your peripheral vision and that Jesus is saying to you, I need you to narrow your focus on me. I need you to give that up for a year or six months or forever. And that's what I need from you to narrow your focus on me. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying to you. Now I know that's a hard, that's a hard thing to hear. But I love how Paul ends this passage that we're, we're teaching on today. In verse 15 and 16, 15 says this. He talks all this about, you know, I haven't obtained this. And he says that Jesus has made us his own. And he says that we should be uh, straining towards, pressing on towards the upward call of Jesus. And then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Also, that word mature just gets me every time when I read it. Because sometimes I wonder how mature or spiritually immature I am. And I want you to ask yourself that question. What's really most important to you? Is it the things of Jesus or is it something else? I can't answer that question for you. Sometimes I don't know if I can answer it for myself the right way. But I know that, that Jesus has called us to narrow our focus and to be mature believers, to be growing in Him, and that He will provide the tools that you need to do it. And then He ends in verse 16, the passage we're using today, where He says this, only let us hold true to what we have attained. See, this, this pressing on towards the upward call of Christ Jesus, this is a lifestyle that needs to be a part of our lives from now on. And he says, hold true to what we have attained. He's saying, don't give up an inch. If you were once here spiritually, and now through the power of Jesus, you've grown all the way to here, he's saying, don't ever, ever, ever go back over there. Don't give up an inch of it. Don't think, well, that was just that was the time in my life when I was really involved in church. That was a time when I was kind of into the Bible. But now I'm doing other things, and now all of a sudden you've regressed way on back here. It's kind of like the difference between, between going on a diet and having a lifestyle change. Don't raise your hands, okay? I'm not calling anybody out. But all of us have known people who, you know, lost a bunch of weight, and then nine months later, you see them again, and they're back to the old size that they were before. And then you've also known people, all of us have, who've lost a bunch of weight and they've never gone back, that they've kept it off. And the reason that is, in a lot of cases, is it's the difference between a diet and a lifestyle change. A diet is, I'm not going to eat anything but dry rice for the next year. If you do that, you are going to lose weight. But let me tell you what, you're not going to want to live like that for the rest of your life. And so you're going to gain that weight back. And so eventually that's going to happen. But those people who say, I'm going to eat better here, I'm going to exercise here, these are, and this is what I'm going to do forever, for the rest of my life. I know that if I'm not going to be big, I'm going to have to exercise five days a week. And there are people that do that. Notice I say people who do that. There are people who do that. 
And they, they, they keep it off, and it's awesome because they've changed their lifestyle. And I think sometimes spiritually we think, and, and you've known folks, you've known people who are part of this church, and they were gung-ho, and they were volunteering, and they were in life groups and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden they say, you know what, we're just going to not go to church anymore. And I can tell you their names. They're not going somewhere else. They're laying in bed. What happened? Because it wasn't a lifestyle change. It was a fad diet for a while. Being a follower of Jesus was just a fad. But what Paul is telling us to do, what Jesus has called us to do, is to hold true to what we've attained. Don't give up an inch. Don't ever go back. Because too much has been sacrificed by Jesus. And too much is at stake. I'm going to pray for us. Hey, I understand. Let me just say this before I pray. I understand that today's kind of a hardcore message. And uh, I just know this, that as I prepare these things, I'm preaching it to myself as I go through that. So I wasn't, when, when I got into this message and, and knew where it was going, I wasn't thinking to myself, man, I can't wait to stick it to those people when I preach this. That wasn't what I was thinking. As I was going through it, I was thinking, man, I'm struggling with this myself. Jesus, help me to be more mature. So I'm going to pray for all of us together. And as I pray, we're going to have one more song at the end here about the the great things that God does in our life, the way he makes good out of bad. And as I pray, if you need to accept Jesus today, you need to ask him to come into your heart for the first time and forgive you of your sins, you can do that right where you are. Because you'll never be righteous enough on your own. But if you accept the cross, you will be given righteousness immediately and stand clean before God. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that even when it's a message that might be difficult for us to hear, that we know we need it. Pray that you would help me, you would help the rest of the leadership of this church, our elders, our staff, our volunteers, and everyone else who's here, that you would help all of us to narrow our focus on you and on the things that are most important. There may be things right now that somebody in this room is thinking about that they're thinking, maybe I need to give that up. I pray that you would convict them about that so that they would make that decision even though it might be difficult. Father God, I pray that there are people here today that don't know you as their Savior. They've never accepted you. They've never been given righteousness and they would accept your righteousness right now. That even as I pray this, that they would be calling out to you asking for forgiveness of sins because we know that the Word tells us that if we ask for forgiveness, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us for our sins and you will clean us up. Clean us up of all the unrighteous stuff in our lives. You are such a good, loving, and kind God. Thank you that we can worship you today. We ask these things in Jesus' name.